0: Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. This is episode 50 of the podcast. I'm Chris Peters. So glad you could join me for yet another episode about the 2022 NHL Draft. It is our draft rankings special. My rankings came out on Daily Faceoff last week. You can read them there at dailyfaceoff.com. Or you can just search Chris Peters 2022 NHL Draft rankings and they will pop up for you on the Google machine. But I just wanted to say thanks to everybody for making it through 50 podcasts. For those of us that, uh, those of you that have listened to every single one of these, uh, it has been my pleasure to do it. And 50 uh, is a bit of a milestone. We've been uh, in operation for over a year, so clearly I've missed uh, weeks at a time. Uh, but at the same time. Being able to do this fairly consistency this se- consistently this season um, has been a, a great joy. And I think that we've uh, made a lot of progress. And uh, last week's episode with Corey Priman is on pace to be the most listened to episode ever by a whole heck of a lot. So thanks to everybody that tuned in last week. I hope to keep the momentum going by sharing some more thoughts on my 2022 NHL draft rankings. As I mentioned, you can read them at dailyfaceoff.com. I would recommend uh, reading them at some point because there's a lot more detail in there. Um, and you know, there's, there's going to be plenty that we're going to talk about here. I got a lot of questions about the draft rankings and some of the decisions that I made. Uh, but you know, it is a great time of year We're we're getting close to the NHL draft. I think a lot of fans are excited and anxious. Um, the Stanley cup final about to begin between the Colorado avalanche and the Tampa Bay lightning, uh, Just a tremendous Stanley Cup final, which is a great appetizer (laughs) to say for the NHL draft, at least in my world, uh, because obviously uh, the draft is what I spend most of my year preparing for, Um, and uh, I won't be picking any players uh, for any NHL teams this year, but I did pick them for myself, and we'll see how I end up doing. Now, I just want to make a quick reminder about NHL draft rankings. The way that I do my draft rankings is a little different. Uh, I am not trying to predict what is going to happen at the draft. I am trying to tell you what I think should happen um, if I were making the decision for those teams. And so this is my opinion. It is solely my opinion. This year, I spent more time talking about scouts, about context and different things like that, and less time talking to them about how they feel about player X or player Y, unless I... Just couldn't seem to wrap my own head around it. Um, I, the reason I did that is I feel like in years past I've allowed those outside influences. You know, I I have such deep respect and admiration for the people that do this job professionally that it's impossible to not let that color your opinion. Um, I think I've been doing this long enough to try and really give you my unfettered opinion. I tried to remove as much bias as I possibly could from the process. Um, and hopefully the end result shows that uh, it was a lot of effort. I got to see a lot of these guys live this year was very thankful to, to daily face off for making that possible, especially at the world under 18 championship uh, just a few months ago. Great chance to see the, the end end result there. Um, obviously saw a lot of players on video huge thanks to instat for being able to uh, you know hook up the video over time and and allowing me to uh, to use that service which has been so important for um, you know getting a more comprehensive picture so every player that is listed in my draft rankings has been viewed at least on video, many of them have been viewed live. And again, this is not a prediction of how the first round or any of the top 100 will go, but rather the way that I see that it should go. Um, And you are free to disagree. And uh, there are certainly many of you that have already because, uh, yes, I did something a little bit out of the norm for me. I think I've often been a very conservative uh, draft ranker. Uh, And don't take a ton of risk, especially not at number one. But this year I decided to do it, and I did it for a reason, uh, because I did believe that Logan Cooley is the best player in this draft and will be the best NHL player that comes out of this draft. That's my personal opinion. How do I arrive at that opinion? Well, there's a number of reasons. The first being, I think I've seen great progression from his game year over year. You know, it's not just about the points. He had very good point production this season, but he, he had definitely shown that he was stronger. He was more competitive. He was harder on pucks. He was making more plays. He was doing things. There were some instances in this season where there there were things that gave me pause. Uh, I think trying to do too much sometimes, Um, you know, too many hero plays at times. But I do think that his overall skill set, his speed, his hands, um, the shot, the defensive sense, the, the, the competitiveness, um, you know, some of the dynamic elements, the processing speed of the how he processes the game. To me, that combination of skills uh, gives him the most upside of any player in this draft. Now, there are plenty of people that are going to disagree with that because, you know, it's very hard for smaller players to be viewed with the upside. You know, we, we often talk about the ceiling being so much higher on bigger players, and that's usually true. Uh, but I think with a player with with Cooley's skill set and his commitment and his well-rounded game and that that competitive drive that he plays with, that was enough for me to say yes, he's just a hair under five foot eleven. Um, there aren't a ton of five foot eleven, five foot ten, uh, really centers in the league. However, you watch Logan Cooley play, and it's just for me if I'm looking at the three players that we have, the the. Biggest collection of skills. That is the big reason why I had Logan Cooley there. Now you can read a lot more. Um I tried to very concisely explain the differences between the players, and there will also be more content on Daily Faceoff in the lead up to the draft where I'll be sharing more and more uh about my opinions and and also answering your questions and trying to give you a little bit more of a, a better feel for why. Um you know, I made some of the decisions that I made in terms of where players are ranked. So we know Logan Cooley is number one. Number two is Shane Wright. And uh, before I go further, I think it's important to note that I have a top three that is very tight. We talked about this last week with Corey Promin. I don't think there is much separating those three players. I think that you could pick any single one of them, and I am not going to criticize your pick. I think that each has a very strong case to be the first player taken. Shane Wright is largely the number one, most places you go, he is going to be the number one pick. He's, he is, you know, as close to a consensus as we can get, but there are enough people out there that have their doubts. There are enough people that say, okay. And, and I obviously am now one of those people that has expressed that doubt. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, I had Logan Cooley at number one at the midterm and basically what it came down to in the end, what were the reasons that I picked Logan Cooley at the midterm? And they were all the same at this point. More dynamic player, better skater. Um, You know, hockey sense is is not at the same level as Shane Wright, but it's comparable enough. Defensive sense is very strong. I think he's a better two way player than a lot of people give him credit for. I think the competitiveness is there. So those are the things. So that's the. They're just minimal things because when I say. I think Shane Wright has the best hockey sense in this draft. That's a big reason why he's number two and not number three, because I do think that that Yuri Slavkovsky also has a higher ceiling than Shane Wright. Um, Wright is interesting on a number of fronts, and I have two questions coming up because I will do a question and answer after this. So this is just me today and the questions from the listeners. By the way, I guess I never, I should have probably said that, that we don't have a guest. We're just going to talk this through in my 50th episode here because I got so many good so much good feedback on the draft so I wanted to talk a little bit more about that but I got some really good questions that I'll get to later but but one thing that I think is that Shane Wright has the highest floor of any player in this draft I think he's he's he could go into the NHL tomorrow and be a serviceable player right away. I think he'll only get better from that. And the big reason is because I think he's an incredibly intelligent player. He's not as flashy. He doesn't you know, have a, as dynamic a skill set. He's not as fast. Um, the other thing is that I mentioned in my draft ranking is that I didn't see a progression in terms of the physical nature of his game in terms of he is stronger, but is he... You know he's he's he hasn't really grown since he got into the OHL, which doesn't really bother me. He's at an average size, which is fine. Um, You know he's about a hair over six feet tall and and just a hair under two hundred pounds, so very serviceable playing weight and everything else. Had ninety four points this year, nothing to sneeze at in the OHL. Did a phenomenal job, top ten scorer in the league, um, second on his team in scoring and uh you know had a 1.42 go- uh points per game average which is you know fine um very similar actually to Logan Cooley's uh points per game average um and you know so he, he played well uh Shane Wright did have a good second half of the season especially in the regular season the playoffs weren't as great so that's another thing that kind of comes into the play he played fine he would produce he had you know 14 points i believe in 11 games so you know he was able to do things quite well um at, at that at the OHL level this season, but the progression is the biggest thing. He was so good in his rookie season. He didn't play anywhere last year. And now we don't know exactly where he, you know, I he didn't play at the level that I think you would expect a number one player to to go at. And that brings me to my next point about these number one prospects. Not a single one of them has produced at a level that is comparable to that of recent first round draft picks, not Alexi Lafreniere, not Jack Hughes, not you know none of those guys in terms of and last year we obviously had a defenseman go number one. You're you're not looking at the points so much there. But the production is just not at a level that you would normally see for a number one pick. And I think that speaks to the 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 relatively shallow nature of this draft, and that you know, these players not we, we talked all year about how you know, why is Shane Wright number one still? Well, it's probably because nobody else is really taking that and sees that. And I think you could even say that for Cooley. You could say that for Slavkovsky. They've had their moments this season, but has any one of those players played like a number one throughout the entire season? The answer is no. So then, you know, you it, it just continues to break down into those little minor arguments, those little things here or there, and then you you look at the you know the collection of skills. And again, I think Cooley his marginally better collection of skills than Shane Wright I think that also gives Cooley the potential to be a superstar I think Shane Wright is going to be a star in the league probably playing a few all-star games you know is he going to be a a superstar for his team probably not he'll probably be more of a, a very important impact player which is nothing there's nothing wrong with that but it's not exactly what you hope you get out of a number one draft pick you hope you get a franchise changing player and I'm not necessarily certain that we have one in this draft could be proven completely wrong later. I mean, that's just the way development works. So we move on to number 3 and Yuri Slavkovsky was really interesting because I had a long long thought about, you know, is he going to be number 2 over right? Um and he's big, he's strong, he's skilled. You know, the skating is fine. The the fact is that, you know, you look at the full track record and you say, okay, well his his tournaments were great, but that that liga production isn't close to what you would need it to be to be a top player. Um, I think he's one where you just say okay, but I'm looking at a six foot four power winger with skill, with a shot that you know can can be devastating, with a chance to be a scorer. You know when you there is still a need for for big strong guys in the NHL, guys that can produce, and he's proven that at you know the World Championship and the Olympics where he was the MVP. You know I think the biggest thing for me is I think that of those three players I, I believe. Wright and Cooley are both better drivers of play, whereas Slavkovsky very well could be um, more of a finisher, not uh, not necessarily the guy that's driving play, although we did see him do that for Slovakia at the World Championship. We did see him play massive minutes, over 20 minutes a game, um, and, and and carrying pucks up ice and doing a lot of things. You know, I think he can be that. Uh, But I don't know, I think, I also think that if you put him with NHL players, he's going to be a better player than we've seen so far. I think he'll be more productive. I think he could even have the biggest season of any, you know, of the rookies from this class once he actually does get there. But those three players, you know, the thing is, is I don't see any one of them, as I mentioned, being a franchise changing player, but they certainly can be making a, a pretty significant impact. I think Slavkovsky has kind of pushed all the right buttons this year. It would have been nice to see him produce more, but I think that there aren't as many doubts about him um as we've seen for other, you know, other other prospects that haven't necessarily produced in their club situation. So those three guys, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And I, I've got a question soon about tears about in this draft, and and I'll I'll spoil that the first part right now is that I think that tier number one is those three guys. They have the biggest potential to be stars in the NHL. Um, And I think that we have a a lot of other players in this class where it's just, you know, there are a lot of maybes. There are a lot of I don't knows. And that is never a great feeling to have. But that's actually how pretty much every draft ends up being in the end. So uh, fascinating to see kind of where that goes. Now, I did want to give you a little bit more of a breakdown of the top 10. Again, please, uh, please go check out the um the draft rankings at dailyfaceoff.com uh, you've heard my top 3 after that number 4 David Juracek. number 5 Simon Nemich 6 Cutter Goche has been a big riser up my board Frank Nazar at number 7 uh pretty aggressive ranking I feel like for him um, but really like the player quite a bit. I think he has a chance to be a star as well. Joachim Kamel at number eight, Jonathan LaKaramaki at number nine, Matthew Savoy at 10. And just because this kind of wraps up my next tier or tier two of this draft, it's Danila Yurov at number 11. So a lot of forwards there and obviously the the top two defensemen. Um, And somebody had asked me if Slavkovsky, if I felt Slavkovsky was gonna be the biggest boom bust pick of this draft. And my answer was that I feel more confident about Slavkovsky being a hit than I do either of the top two defensemen, even though I ranked both in the top five. David Juracek, Simon Nemich, each of them very skilled. They have a lot of offensive ability. Nemich is a really great passer. Juracek is a good, good enough puck mover, but it's you know, his highlight is the shot. He's a good skater. I think he's got a little bit more defensive sense, he's bigger. Um, you know, there are a lot of those things that, that, that matter. I think Nemich has a chance to be a real special player, could be a top pairing guy if everything goes right. Um, you know, they're two right shot defensemen and, you know, I just, I still worry that as I look down the board and I see Pavlom and Tukov, I see, um, Ryan Chesley, I see Kevin Korchinski, Denton Matejchuk. I see options to be better guys that could be better down the line than either of my top two defensemen. And you know, I, I I think it's just, it's very tough to know, but there's no question in my mind that the right shot defenseman with size, with big minutes, with production, with all those different things, they're really hard to pass up early in the draft because there aren't very many players with the statistical profiles of either of Juracek or Nemec, especially Nemec, who was so good in the Slovakian league this year. There's really not a, a precedent for what he did um, this season. So, you know, there's a lot of real intrigue there. I'm very fascinated to see kind of how everything ends up shaking out. Um, you know, with those with those uh you know, kinda of, kind of with with those two guys. It's 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 very it's very interesting. Um, you know, I think you could go either way. I personally have your check ahead, but I know there are plenty that would say Nemich. And they, you know, I, I can't I can't argue a ton. I just know how I see it and and obviously I see it that way. But to move on from that, then you go to the next phase, and then we're talking about high upside forwards again. And it's Cutter Goche, who's probably going to be uh, you know, drafted as as a guy that teams believe is going to be a center. Nazar played center this year. There's some question about can he play center at about five nine and a half, five ten. Um I think he was, I think actually think he was measured at five ten at the combine. Um I think he can, I think he's a very quick shifty player, um, you know, produced at a, not, not quite at the Cooley level, but certainly produced at a high rate, did very well against USHL competition this year. Um, and I think, you know, his skating is such that, you know, the size really doesn't matter as much. And and then he's got this incredible skill profile to go along with it. Um, that leaves, you know, the, the wingers, Joachim Kamel, Jonathan LaKaramaki, two guys that I think are going to be among the top goal scorers in this draft. Both have excellent shots. Both have um, high skill with their puck with, uh, with their hands. Um, you know, I, I think Kamel is, 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 quite a good skater. Um, he's, he's got some ability to separate from, from defenders. And then he's also can play well. I think LaKaramaki can be a, a play driving winger, um, a guy that kind of lets everything run through him as we saw at the World Under-18 Championship. Um, and then he's got that devastating shot, but really showed at that tournament that there's a playmaking element there. And number 10, you got Matthew Savoy. And I mean, I I've, I like the player a lot. I think that there are probably some people that would say that 10 is low for Savoy. And I'd say that's, that's fair. I just think that the other players, to me, just have a little bit... Um, Better chance to be impact guys at the next level, but Savoy, you know, he plays the game with with you know hard nosed nature. He's got some quickness. He's got some some uh, some really good skating ability. Um, and, and then you know he just even though he's not a big guy, he goes in and he he makes you know he can make plays. He gets into the tough areas. He doesn't shy away from contact. Um, you know he's going to continue to need to need to continue to get stronger. Um, but you know I just look and I think that it's starting to get harder and harder to justify, you know, is this going to be a guy that's going to play in your top six? Um, I think, you know, I think there's probably some doubt there. Um, you know, his, his production slowed a little bit towards the end of the season, um, did get hurt in the, in the WHL playoffs as well. So a lot of different things to consider with Savoy. I really like the player, um, obviously because he's still in the top 10, even though that might be viewed as, as too low. Um, I still think that, makes sense for me um the last guy to round out this second tier and and you know i don't really label the tiers it's just trying to give you an idea of where i see the gaps between you know and and also to say where i see players that are kind of more bunched together i really do think the players from from 4 to 12 uh or 4 to 11 on my board um really could go any which direction and I think that I agree with the teams that, that, that went that way, because I think these players are very close um, in nature. So last guy is Yurov. And I think, you know, if we weren't dealing with some of the things that are going on with, with Russia, the question about players, I think that Yurov is is a top 15 pick all day. Um, I think he plays a game with some power. I like his skill. I think he's an intelligent player. He's got a good North South game. Um, You know, he plays with such strength. So the question is, is, you know, what's going to happen next with his development. There's a lot of other things that are going to be beyond a team's control, which is why I could see him slipping well out of the top 15. And, you know, I I don't think he'd necessarily slip out of the first round, but he's going to, he's going to drop quite a bit. So I did want to talk a little bit about tier three as well. Um, and the third tier for me is essentially about number 12 to number 25, where I think there is, there is a, a number of players in here That could become impact prospects, but for one reason or another, it just, you know, I I have just enough doubt uh, relative to the players that I've already listed um, in one through 11. So number 12 starts off, Marco Casper, center from Rogla, he's, you know, Austrian playing in Sweden. um, And this is a guy that really came on strong in the second half. He had a great postseason. He had a really good world championship where he was able to show that he can be a play driver. Um, I love the skating ability, his work ethic, his he's got some grit to him. Um, there's a real two-way capability there. The question for me is, is the offense going to be there um, in the end? I think he could be poised for a big breakout season if he stays in Sweden next year. Be very interested to see kind of what his development path looks like. But to me, a very safe center pick in the middle of that first round um, and then, you know, we're looking at other guys, Denton Matechuk Kevin Korchinski, um, Jagger Furcus, Isaac Howard, Pavel Mintukov. Um, those are, you know, highly, highly skilled players that we're talking about right there. Um, guys with quick hands and undersized guys, Furcus and Howard. You know, they, they both are not the biggest guys. Um, Howard, you know, has some of the best hands in the draft, I think. Ferkus probably has the best release, um, or maybe the quickest release of of any player. You know, so the hand skills are certainly there for those guys. Um, you look at Korczynski and Matejchuk the year the years that both have had in the WHL. They make plays. They skate well. You know, they they do a lot for you. Um, and then you know, moving on, same with Mentukov, high scoring goal, uh, high goal scoring defenseman I think that there's still a little bit of work to do on his defensive game but he's really come on strong in that regard Um, you look at Rutger McGrody at 18 that's a high character guy goal scorer gets to the net front very well not a great skater which is you know could hold him back but I really like what he's brought to the table same thing with Connor Geeky not a great skater I have him at 19 he's you know that's low relative to where a lot of other places will have him um, I think the player is exceptional in the hockey sense department. The puck always seems to find him. My concern is that, you know, the pace of play and if he's going to be able to keep up and as it continues to get faster and faster, is there a spot for him to do that? And then I'll stop at number 20 here. And I did mention that I'll, I'll keep going uh, in a minute, but I did want wanted to pause on number 20 for for Ivan Roshashenko because... He's the guy that really is going to be one to watch throughout the first day of the draft. I don't know if he's going to go in the first round. We do know that you know the prognosis is good. He, he was you know, diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma earlier this year. He got treatment in Germany, met with a lot of teams while he was in Germany, um, and they were there for the World Under-18 Championship, and he... You know, he. It sounds like the, the the prognosis is very good. He'll be able to resume training without limitations. He's going to be able to, um, you know, start next season. And we don't know if he'll he'll start playing right away or what's going to happen yet. There's still a long way to go. But before he got sick, um, and really, I think because he was playing through what we now know is 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 was cancer, um, he he played well, not not up to his standard. So now that we know there was an issue there, to me, if I'm a team that has multiple first round picks, I've got to use one of them on Rosh Hashanko. Um, You know, my whole, I, I think you're, you're taking a giant leap of faith, but you're also potentially bringing in, and we're, this is assuming that there was another pick made earlier. You're bringing in a potential, you know, star player, a guy that, that I had it as, as, as high as number two coming into this draft season, uh, because of what I had seen from him live and in the power and the speed and the release and all these different things that he plays with the aggression. Um, I just think that he has a chance to be a special player and it's just a matter of, of, you know, what is, what do the doctors say? What are the risks? Um, how, su- how much did this lost season hurt him? There's so many things that, that need to be sorted out yet. Um, also have a pair of, of USHL defensemen in Lane Hudson and Ryan Chesley. We do have uh, some Hudson questions coming up later in the podcast, but um, one of the questions that I've been asked pretty frequently is why is Hudson over Chesley when Chesley is over him on so many boards? And I would say that Ryan Chesley of the two is definitely the safer pick. I think that he's a brilliant skater. I have no doubt in my mind he's going to have a long NHL career. Um, I think he's going to be a great two-way player. I think he's one of the most well-rounded defensemen in this tournament. However, I think Hudson has that potential to be something special, something different. Um, he is small, five foot eight, uh, under 160 pounds. Um, not a lot of defensemen it, with that size profile. There are a few, uh, Jared Spurgeon at this point is currently, you know, as far as what he's listed, the smallest defenseman in the NHL. Um, but you know, he's a captain of a team. He has been a, a very good player over the years. I think, you know, the way that Hudson plays the dynamic capabilities, and I'll save some of this for later when we talk a little bit more, um, there are so many special things about him and, uh, I think it's the competitive drive, the, great defensive stick legitimately one of the best defensive sticks in this draft he defends at a high level for a player that isn't that big he might lose his share of wall battles he might get dominated at the net front those are important areas where you you really can't afford that but as he continues to grow and get stronger if that does in fact happen um, that changes the dynamic and i think that those two defensemen are exceptional Um, And and I might even be too low on both of them. Uh, I understand the risks of Hudson and and why teams would be reluctant with him. But I've seen enough to say I wouldn't be reluctant. I think that there's a lot there. Just to round out the end of this tier. And again, this is the third tier. So we've we've talked one to three. uh, We talked four to 12. And now this is, uh, or four to 11. This is 12 now to 25. Liam Ogren from Sweden, number 23, number 24, Yuri Kulich, one of the best one-timers in this draft, and then 25, Brad Lambert. And this is where we'll pause once again, because I did hear from a Finnish friend of mine who said that I uh, was way off um, on this, and I very well could be. I've also talked to other Finnish scouts who said they would not recommend drafting Brad Lambert. I tried to do it simply by what I thought. And what I think, the reason that Brad Lambert is at number 25, which is still a first-round draft pick, it's still in a range where you would expect to land an impact player, it is not a huge indictment of Brad Lambert. It is relative to the expectations that were had of him coming in. I mean, there was a long chat for for years that it was going to be between him and Shane Wright. Now Lambert's not even close to that discussion, and now we're trying to say, is he going to go in the first round? There is no doubting his skill. You cannot argue with his skating ability. It is among, if not the best um, in this draft class. And that is a huge thing in today's NHL, being a good skater. There's no doubt in my mind that Brad Lambert's going to play games in the NHL. I think he will find a way to get there. My question is, is will they will there be enough? For him to be an actual impact player in the league, and I, that is where I draw a line because I've watched him at various events over the years. I haven't necessarily seen the progression that I think you would need to see in a player that was so far advanced for his age. That you know he's playing in Gretzky Cups at age 15 and playing well. Um, I think that what we're seeing from uh, from Brad Lambert this year was just more of the same from last year. It wasn't necessarily a big production year. wasn't necessarily Um, you know, uh, an especially effective year in in any which way he's on his third team in three years. There's a lot to it. So you say, I can't get really into his head and, 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 and dig as deep as NHL teams are going to, but I do have, you know, some concerns about the compete level and other things like that, that, you know, give me a reason to wonder. And so, yes, this is very low for Brad Lambert. I understand. I just thought that you guys should understand how I viewed it and why he is where he is, which is, again, still a first rounder in a range where you would expect to potentially land a an impact prospect. So, not bad. Not bad at all. Well, if you want to get the rest of my top 100... You'll have to go to dailyfaceoff.com. There's no paywall. It's all free. Um, so you can go check it out. I hope that you'll enjoy it. Um, that's kind of the top 25. We we went over it. I paused on a few players. And now I want to get some questions. I want to hear what you wanted to know about. Um, there will be some of these questions that you are going to hear on the podcast will appear in a mailbag segment on Daily Faceoff because I put out a call and, and you know I there are a couple things that I wanted to spend extra time on, but those are in writing. And then I'll have some, some more commentary here on the podcast. And before I get to your questions and before we move on to the next phase of our NHL draft rankings special, and I don't know why I keep calling it a special because it's basically just another episode and, um, it just happens to be with rankings this time. Anyway, before we get to that, I do need to let you know if, if you are a first time listener to this podcast, first of all, thank you so much. And second of all, please leave a kind rating and review on your app of choice. It does a great, uh, it does me a lot of help. If you do that, uh, leave a written review on Apple podcasts, leave five-star ratings. Uh, we're up to 59, five-star ratings on Apple podcasts. I want to keep that number going North, um, because, as I mentioned last week, I will be having uh, some some career shifting going on here in the next few weeks. Uh, although this podcast will be coming with me where I'm going, um, so if you want this to continue, if you want to keep you know keep the party going, I guess I don't know. that sounds so weird to say on a, about an NHL draft podcast. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Definitely. Uh, give us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you get your podcast. It does help us move up the charts. And this week, um, with the Corey Priman episode, we're up to, I think peaked at higher than 40 on, on the top hockey podcasts in the United States. So for an independent with an independent podcast with, with no network backing, I think that's pretty good. Um, so thanks very much to all of you who uh, have tuned in and we want to keep this uh, going for you. So now that that's out of the way, let's get to your questions. There are some really great ones. We're going to start right at the top. Obviously a lot of questions about Logan Cooley and Shane Wright and all these different things. And a lot of, uh, I would say anxious Habs fans, uh, in my mentions, uh, after not putting Shane Wright, uh, number one and, uh, yeah, I think we got to talk about it. So let's get to the questions. All right. Our first question comes from Leo B. He's a frequent questioner on the podcast. He says, Chris, are you able to provide some tiers for the 2022 rankings, at least for the top 32 or however deep the last tier of potential first rounders goes? Um, So, yeah. So basically, as I said, 1 through 3, 4 through 11, 12 through 25. And that's kind of where I start to see more significant drops. I think 26 to 39 is still pretty good. That's where I would say tier 4 is. Tier 5, more like now 40 to 74 and tier six was 75 to 100. If we're just taking my top 100 rankings, um, again, that's just where I start to see the gaps. I think that, you know, you can go and read the rankings and see which players are where and understand kind of where those are. But, you know, I think it's, as this draft goes on, I get less and less passionate about the players. That's true every single year. But I think this year it happens a little bit faster. Um, And that could just be me. That could just be the, you know, the, the, the way that this year went. But that's just kind of how, I felt uh, about this class over the course of the season. The top is only okay. The middle is good to average or uh, around average what we would expect for a draft. And then it really starts tapering off in the late first round. So, you know, I think that if you're, if you're picking within those first 25 picks you have a great opportunity to land a significant prospect for your system. Everything after that, it's a real, you know kind of wonder at this point. Um, So that'll be interesting to see. This is one that I'll have answered on the uh, Daily Faceoff Mailbag, but I, I did want to share it here because I thought it was you know, fascinating and it's something that we should be talking about more as we look at these players. And this one comes from Daniel M. At 15 years old, Shane Wright was already very mature physically and didn't grow much thereafter. In comparison, Connor McDavid grew up by 3 inches and added 30 pounds during the same period. We saw the progression with McDavid. Is this a concern for you about Wright's potential of improvement? Daniel, this is a very insightful and very important question, and it absolutely factored into my decision process. A player's lack of physical maturation as a junior does not on its face mean that there is a low ceiling for that player. However, I think in Shane Wright's case, it does provide greater context for how well he performed as a rookie at 15. Um... Kingston has listed him at six foot one, no less than 185 pounds. At the combine, he weighed, measured in at six foot and a half uh, and six foot plus a half inch and 199 pounds. Um, so you're right. There has not been much growth. He is a stronger player today than he was as a rookie. He's more physically mature. Um, but I think that the the likelihood of him continuing to grow, the fact that some of these guys like a Logan Cooley... Um, very well could still be growing. And, you know, we think that Cooley is because he, his his uh, measurements kept going up this season. Um, you know, that is a factor. And I think it also says to me, you would like to see as a player gets stronger and has more experience, you would like them to see them dominate at this level. And I think that's one of the biggest things is that there was an expectation that Shane Wright would dominate the season as opposed to being excellent, which is, you know, still very good. He didn't dominate, um, at any point. Um, I think he had flashes of good games. Um, but it just, it wasn't all, it wasn't all there. Um, and that was, disappointing i think on some level and probably you know did that does that color him being first or second you know it's hard it's hard to say it doesn't um but anyway as i mentioned the lack of physical maturation on its own doesn't necessarily say well shane wright's not going to you know get better um i remember thinking very similarly about alexander barkov like his size was such that you know he's probably not going to get a lot bigger you know is it is he is he Is his success tied to how more physically developed he is? As we've seen, absolutely not the case. Um, You know, and if Shane Wright has Alexander Barkov's career, we're talking about, you know, uh, an absolute star in this game. Um, So what a great place that would be. But the reason I think that, you know... that this isn't as huge of a factor is because Shane Wright has tremendous hockey sense. And I think that's really a separating factor for him among his peers. He is a intelligent hockey player. He missed all of last season, but he still plays the game with such comprehensive understanding of what he needs to do, how he needs to play um, when he needs to turn it up, all those different things. Um, He does have an elite shot. He, he, you know, his hands are good. His vision is good. Um, His vision is elite. Probably, you know, he's one of the better passers as well. Um, You know, we've talked about before how the defensive sense and the defensive skills are are not at the level of, you know, uh, uh, the Patrice Bergeron comparisons that keep getting tossed around. Um, They're not there yet. But but he that because he has that hockey sense, there's a belief that he'll continue to progress. Um, in his on-ice performance, and that's why I still have him at number two, because if you were worried about a guy not physically maturing and that you know what we see now is all he's ever going to be, if that is truly the case, then you wouldn't take that player in the top three. You wouldn't take that player in the top five probably, Um, but we also talk about high floors, and Shane Wright could step into the NHL tomorrow and be a serviceable player, but you want him to be a star. Can he be over the course of time? I do believe that his hockey sense will allow that. Uh, this other one comes from Vincent. It's also about Shane Wright. And it, and it, you know, it asks a hypothetical. And I, I, this isn't, uh, you know, disparage the questioner because it is an important question. Um, Wright had a, a points per game average way higher in the second half. If he had the same points per game since day one, would he be the consensus right now? So it's tough to deal in hypotheticals when it comes to point production. I think it is fair to break up the season and say, oh, wow, well, he was at a 1.42 at the the first 32 games of the season and a 1.58 in the last 31 games of the season, of the regular season. Um, but the thing about if we if we do all these arbitrary kind of, uh, slicing and dicing of his season, there's another way to do that too. And that's to include his postseason. And so if you do that, you know, you're looking at a player that played in, let's see, how many games was it, uh, that, that he ended up playing in this season? Um, 74 total. So 74 total, um, games that he played in the OHL this season. And, uh, that's 108 points. And it comes back to 1.42, which is the, the points per game average that he had at the beginning of the season. The one that we've talked about how it's, you know, the lowest points per game average for an OHL first overall pick since Rick Nash, um, when it was, uh, in, in years when it was harder to score. Um, so, you know, if he, if he produced it a 1.58 points per game clip throughout the season, it would definitely look better, but I don't think that's the reason why Shane Wright slipped in, in the view of, of some, and certainly not all, um, I think the reason that he slipped is because, you know, you start watching these games, you're saying this is not a player that's dominating these games at, a, at the, the way that we expect the first overall pick to do that. Um, and, and so that's where I, I definitely have more concern. It's it's less about the point production because while that, is, while that matters and while we expected him to produce at a higher rate, um, no matter how you slice and dice the season, it was not at a rate comparable to a top player. Um, but that's what we have in this draft class. And that's why these three players, are the players that we're really debating heavily about who's going to go number one. And so uh, it's a good question, Vince, because I think, you know, you can look at a season in so many different ways and we're always looking for progression. He got better as the season wore on. There is no question about that. And that is an important factor um, in this because my biggest concern at the beginning of the, at the midterm when I had Cooley first overall is that I didn't see Wright progressing we saw moderate progression down the way, but not at the level that I think you know we needed to see for him to be the number one pick, at least for me. Uh, ben asks, uh, "How do you see Wright versus Cooley for point production? Any concern with Cooley's value with him likely to land in Arizona?" Well, I think the the you know it is true. I mean, I would say that Logan Cooley at number three at Arizona is probably, if I was to do a mock draft right at this moment is probably where it would be. Um, and I will have a mock draft later on at Daily Faceoffs. shameless plug. Um, but I don't have a ton of concern with uh, value. I mean, we're talking about points and I'm sure that, that Ben's got a bit of a fantasy hockey angle on this as well. Um, you know, I think in the early stages, because Wright is more physically developed and a little bit you know better equipped for the NHL game at the moment, um, you know, he's certainly the guy. But if we're talking long-term, if we're talking down the road, um, yes, it's going to be difficult for the Arizona Coyotes if that's where Logan Cooley ends up. It'll definitely be hard for them to um, you know, have a, a highly productive team and score a lot of goals. However, I, I do think that, that Cooley is going to be a productive player at the next level. Uh, part of the reason that I have him ahead of Wright is that I believe he'll be a more offensively gifted player, um, has a chance to produce at a higher level. He doesn't have the same shot that Wright does, but I think everything else about his game offensively um, translates as well or better. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would, I would still lean towards, um, Cooley being the more productive player long-term, but definitely would say right in the short term, probably has the leg up. It's also important to note that Cooley will be going to the university of Minnesota next season, probably a one and done. Um, but you know, either way, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what he does there. All right, now we're going to get into some of the other specific prospect questions and team questions that I got on Twitter. This one comes from Mike. What is your sense on the Sharks at 11? Will they take LaKiramaki because of the connection with Eklund if he falls that far, or do you think they would still go for a defenseman? Well, I think San Jose is in a very interesting position. Obviously, right now, they don't have a general manager, so it's really difficult for me to say you know, how things are going to go and, and what they're going to do because that may change. Now, I would say that more than likely, they'll keep intact the D- Doug Wilson's, um, you know, the, the guys that were under him, which include Doug Wilson Jr., um, Tim Burke, who have, the two of them, very involved in the scouting department. They have a really good amateur scouting staff in San Jose. They've had some really good picks over the last couple of years. And I think that they're just going to, you know, whoever is the next guy on their board, they're going to take there. It could be Lakeira it could be Kamal. We'll see if they're even available there at that point. You know, does uh, Matthew Savoy fall far enough? Does he fit their profile? I just think in the range they're picking in, it would make a lot of sense to look at some of the defensemen, the remaining defensemen. I mean, I have Denton Matejchuk as the third best defenseman right now in the draft. I think he'll absolutely be available at 11. Um, you know, I don't think that they would pick LaKaramaki because of playing in the same club as Eklund. Uh, they didn't, you know, that's that certainly helps. And you want to, you know, if your top two guys came from the same club, you have a real good sense of, of their development track and all those other things. So it, it certainly could be tempting. Um, you know, and I would love, you know, I think for the Sharks getting a, a high end goal scorer, an offensive player, like with at uh, at 11 would be great. I mean, that's kind of the way my board is structured as well. I have like a little bit ahead of that. So if you get them there, you'd be real happy. So Um, I think it really could go any way at this point. I do think the value among the forwards, if you've got any one of Savoy, Kamel, or LaKaramaki right there, it'd be hard to pass on any one of them in favor of the defensemen at this point. All right, we've got two Lane Hudson related questions, and you guys know that I enjoy Lane Hudson. Uh, My good pal Pete Krepsky asked Lane Hudson first round question. Plus 82 in his NTDP career. And Pete, of course, is the voice of the National Team Development Program, calls the games, has shared a lot of clips on Twitter as well. So Pete um, is a great resource for NTDP video clips, including many of Logan Cooley um, and, of course, Lane Hudson. And Pete had actually shared a few of, of Lane Hudson's clips with me there on uh, on Twitter. So you can search our names and find... Those clips, um, and then also on Lane Hudson, Big Tortillas. I've heard that at, at the NHL Combine, Lane Hudson saw, uh, an endocrinologist. According to them, Hudson wasn't stop, hasn't stopped growing yet, and could add another three inches. Is that with this information? Does that change his draft stock? Let's get to Big Tortillas' question first because it is an important one. Um, we did talk about it a little bit last week, but you know the fact that there is some belief, at least an endocrinologist, that Hudson saw thinks that he can grow three inches that does change a lot I mean there's a big difference it sounds silly but there is a big difference between a five foot eleven defenseman and a five foot eight defenseman you know he he does definitely have uh, you can just by looking at Hudson you can see that he hasn't quite physically matured yet Um, you know he still looks very young Uh, he does have an older brother that grew late as well grew to 511 his dad is 511 he comes from a family of um, athletes, his mom was a a collegiate gymnast as well. So, you know, Lane Hudson has a, a lot of that there. And, and yes, if, if, if there is a team out there that sees the information that, you know, about that, and they take it at face value, then I think they'd be more prone to ask him, uh, you know, to draft him, but it's a big, if there's a big, if there, what if, you know, things don't go right. What if there's a reason for this, you know, that's, that's a huge risk that you're taking on in a first round. Um, So to answer Pete's question, you know, do I think he's going to go in the first round? I have my doubts. Do I think he should? I do. I think for as small as he is, he has the best defensive stick in this draft. He is around the puck so much. He has great puck skills, dynamic footwork. You know, he doesn't have great straight line speed, which I think is another reason why I have my doubts that he'll go in the first round, but he does have, you know, he he can skate, and he can make plays, and he can escape pressure, and he can extend plays. Um, you know, I just, I love the way that he plays the game, the competitiveness he plays with. His teammates love him, um, and he put up a lot of points this year. He, as Pete mentioned, a plus 82. I mean, this team was so much more dangerous when he was on the ice, played big minutes in the Under-18 World Championship, I believe he's a first rounder, you know, just, that's just me. I believe on talent. He's a first rounder. I, but I understand I'm not an NHL scout who is worried about getting fired. If they get this one wrong Um, or a general manager or anybody else for that matter, if they get this one wrong, it's a big risk to take. It's one in my very comfortable media position. I'd take all day. So uh, Uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. All right. Next question comes from Martin. Yes, did you see Corey Promin's feature on the highest upside players in the draft? What's your top five top ceiling players? And are there any high ceiling players that will make it into the third round? Well, I think there's always a chance for, for high ceiling guys to slip. Um, but I'd say that, you know, if we're looking at the highest ceiling players, it's unlikely that you would see them go all the way into the third round. Is it possible? Sure, but I, I just don't see it. But, you know, this is another question that I'll have in my mail mailbag um, on daily Faceoff. So I'll only give you a, just a, a slight sampling here. But to me, I think Logan Cooley has the most upside of that skill, the, 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 the talent, the fact that he's still growing um, all of those things. I, you know, I think that there is a massive upside there. He's headed to the University of Minnesota. going to be fascinated to see how he does under Bob Motzko there and, and who he plays with and how how quickly he can make an impact. Um, I think he's going to be an outstanding player. Cutter Goche, probably the best overall athlete in this draft. I think that he is so sure-handed with the puck. He's going to be a center, you know, six-foot-three sc- center that can skate, that plays hard, that gives you offense, that has a tremendous shot. Um, you know, those guys, you have to really lock them down when you have the opportunity. Um, given all the high risk, high reward, Ivan Roshashenko, you know, we talked about him a bit already. If if he gets healthy and he has a chance to to, to resume his career and he doesn't miss a beat, um I think he'll be in the NHL quickly uh just because of of that and I think he'll he'll kind of grow into more of a star I also have two defensemen in 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 my top five for the high ceiling I think Kevin Korchinski from the Seattle Thunderbirds been talking about him a lot really showed over the course of the season that he's really starting to, to to get to his potential um but that he still has a long way to go he's 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 a six foot two defenseman skates very well moves pucks well um i think he plays the modern style game it's just going to be a matter of, of repetition for him getting getting more reps and getting more game time getting more opportunities and that's going to be huge for him and huge for whoever drafts him lastly sam rinzel who i think is one of the more fascinating players in this draft played uh, at chaska high school for portion of the season and then spent the rest of the season with the Waterloo Blackhawks and You could tell at the USHL level that he wasn't quite able to do everything that was possible in his, in his arsenal. But then there were moments where you'd see him skate pucks out of trouble, skate pucks up ice, you know, his zone exits were phenomenal. Um, You know, it's just a matter of, he still needs to figure out what to do once he gets himself into the open ice. And, and so I have some significant hockey sense concerns about Rinzel, but physically, you know, the six foot three, closing in on six foot four, right shot defenseman with skill and good footwork that's a guy where I could see a lot of, you know, a lot of talent and why he'll probably go late in the first round, even though he is a fairly large project. Um, so, you know, as far as guys that could go late with higher ceilings, um, you know, I think it's, it's always, it's it's tough to say about those guys. Um, you know, I think that Philip Bystet, uh, I don't think he's going to go as late as the third round. In fact, he might even go in the first round, but he's, or B-Stat, he's he's one of those guys where I love the size and skating package. It's really interesting to see kind of what he can do, um, but again, it's just is it all there between the ears? Does he process the game at the speed at which he can play? Um, not always clear there. Uh, Gleb Trikazov, who you, I'm sure you've heard a lot about. I know he's very popular with um, other public lists, and um, I you know I think he's got a lot of the talent there. I would like to see him be a little bit more consistent. Uh, but there, there are some legitimate offensive tools and the fact that you've got the Russian thing going on, you know, will he be there later? Absolutely possible for him to be there later. And one of the defensemen that I could see going late as late as the third round, I actually have him 48th on my list is Michael Buckinger, uh, from the Guelph storm. I think he's got some of the best hands among defensemen in the draft and could be a sneaky good pick. A little bit later so keep an eye on him and when he goes because i know i have him way higher than most other people do and i can live with that ken craig asks what teams are possibly looking to move up on day one um talked about this a little bit before but i, I definitely could see minnesota trying to get involved you know we, we've talked about they, they have the, the salary cap situation being what it is, is there anybody they can get that can give them help soon? Because uh, the the cap or capture, or not the cap or capture, the 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 retained cap hits from the buyouts of of Zach Parise and Ryan Suter kick in, and it ain't going to be pretty. So you need to get younger, quicker. Um, you know, so what's the best way to do that? It's probably to get some of the players that are closer here, uh, closer to playing in the NHL, and, and guys like um, you know. That, that have size that have skill um you know i think that that could be something minnesota's looking to do would be very interested to see if there's any interest from arizona to move up to package up their picks um not not move up from three but move up a little bit from their their later picks to try to get somebody if there's somebody they really like could see that but the thing, the thing that I'll really be looking at, and this includes with the Wild, is you know teams that are going to trade roster players for picks. Is that going to happen and, in, in trying to get rid of salary cap situations, trying to get rid of various headaches that they have? That's when I think we could see some movement in terms of picks and teams moving around on the draft board a little bit more as if some of those roster players get involved. The question is, is is the value of this year's draft good enough to, to land those types of players? Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see until... Draft day. JD asks, "I am very intrigued by Jagger Ferkus Number one, coolest name in the draft. Can he be a home run for a team drafting later in the first? I do think that he could be a home run for a team drafting later in the first. I just don't know if he's going to get there. I think he's probably going to be a mid-first round pick. Um, he came on really strong towards uh, you know over the course of the season." Um, he's not a big guy, but he definitely has the skill. He had a great performance at the, uh, CHL top prospects game, which doesn't hurt because everybody's there and it always gives you a chance, but you know, he's, he's kind of average size, um, had 80 points this season, 36 goals for Moose Jaw and then 12 points in 10 playoff games this year as well. So there's a lot to like about, um, about Jagger Furcus aside from his name. I think that he's really going to be one of those players that, You know, we look back on this draft and we'll say, wow, how'd he slip to wherever, you know, he slipped to? And because he he just does have some of those dynamic capabilities and, um, you know, to see what he did this season and to see kind of where he's grown, um, you know, I think there's a good chance that he'd be in that, you know, even 15 to 25 range. Um, So, yes, I think he'd be a home run anywhere uh, in that first round, assuming uh, that all happens. Next one comes from Peter. Chris, who are your top overage players for the draft? I think this year you can see more than usual. What's your thoughts on the overage players this year? And we've talked about it a little bit more before, but since I did do the rankings, I did want to answer this because, you know, there are a number of guys that I did end up ranking. Um, uh, Tucker Robertson from the Peterborough Petes, uh, Mike Milne from the Winnipeg Ice. I had some other guys. Uh, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I do have a sleepers post over at Daily Faceoff as well. So you could search NHL draft sleepers, um, and you know there there are players um, in there that are overage players like Lucas Edmonds from the Kingston Frontenacs who, who was able to uh, work a lot with Shane Wright this year and and put up some major numbers. Uh, was one of the top scorers in the OHL, and you you know, he's still draft eligible. He's a Canadian, Swedish dual citizen, uh, played the last few years in Sweden. Very intrigued there. One of the guys I think you could get later um, in the first round, uh, or sorry, not in the first round, later in the draft is Connor Kurth and his teammate from Kenny Connors, who I did list in my top 100. Connors was uh, towards the end of my top 100, but both of those guys passed over in previous drafts, and then you say, you know all they did this year was was play at a high level throughout the entire season in the USHL they play hard they have skill uh, Kurth is going to uh, Minnesota next season and I think he's gonna be one of those guys where if you don't sign him you're just gonna be uh, or if you don't draft him you're just gonna be signing him later as a as a college-free agent um, you know I think that Kurth has the the, the question is is, is he to, is, does he play a little too heavy? Does he need to, to to be in a little bit better shape? Is there things like that? Um, but he had eighty one points in sixty two games this year for Dubuque and was a driver for them. Uh, watched him live plenty of times. I think he's gonna be an excellent college player, um, and that's a guy that I would want to you know basically uh, jump on as as soon as possible at the draft and say this is a guy we need to we need to have in our mix. And I, I think the same goes for Connors. Two guys that played for Dubuque in the USHL. Um, Connors has a little bit more of a size advantage. I think his skating's a bit better as well. He's got really good skill, 56 points in 61 games. Um, you know, he's just starting to put it all together. I feel like, and there's, there's certainly some upside there. And so those are two guys with, you know, were passed over last year and now they have an opportunity, uh, after a really great season to be selected. And, you know, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of overage players. We're going to see a lot go later in, later in the draft. And, Teams are going to be looking for guys that they feel are close enough to earning contracts and may even sign them very quickly after the whole uh, uh, the whole draft is over because there are guys like that. But you, you look at guys like Kurth, Connors, um, Edmonds, Milne, Robertson, uh, another guy I didn't mention, Dominic James, who played on the U.S. World Junior team this year uh, and, and didn't have a great productive season but really had a strong collegiate season with Minnesota Duluth. You know, there's there's a lot there, Um, and and I think the teams will be eager to look at those players. And you know, this also brings me to that point about you know why do those players go more frequently now? And I think it's just because NHL teams, especially the guys that are on the NCAA track, like Connors or Kirth, those guys basically just you know they they get four years of development, and you know they stay in contact. They hope they get you signed and. You know, you do have the opportunity to go UFA, but that still doesn't happen as often as, as, as people, you know, it happens a few times a year, but that's really not often in the grand scheme of things when you think of all the players that get drafted. So I think um, there's a lot to like there, um, you know, with the overagers, and I think they'll, we'll see quite a few go, and, and especially the guys that are on the NCAA and, and on the European tracks, just so the teams can retain their rights and, you know, see kind of where things go from there. Last question comes from Bill Armstrong's burner and he asked me to mock draft the top 10 from last year and this year's class combined. And what is my favorite player fit to a team in round one this season? Well, that is a tough one. That is a tough one because last year's draft, there's still so much more to learn about it. There's still so much that we, we don't know. Um, obviously having Owen Power and Matty Bennear I think they're both exceptional players. You know, if the Montreal Canadiens had the number one pick this year and and it was Owen Power's draft year, I think that there's very little doubt in my mind that he would be the number one. Um, I think that you would also make a case that Luke Hughes could go pretty high in this draft class. Same with Matty Um, I would probably say it would go Power one, Cooley two. Uh, at three, I would say Wright. At four, Baneers. Five, Slavkovsky. Six, let me let me take six. Yes, yeah, six would say Luke Hughes. Um Seven would basically then be you know the the rest of the guys from twenty twenty one in the draft. Um you know, I don't think that the top of this draft is as, as good as last year's. Um you know, I think that you could make a case for Nemich and Juracek too, but uh it's tough to do. Um so that's kind of my quick and dirty version of it. I'm I'm sorry Bill Armstrong's burner. I know this might be below your standard if you are indeed Bill Armstrong, general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. However, favorite player to team fit in round 1. This is a tough one because I think that a lot of these players, you know, they're still trying to figure out their identities and we're still trying to figure them out in a lot of ways. Um but, you know, I think one of the guys that, that I've come back to in terms of, of profile and, and everything else, um, you know, I, I think probably if there was a great team fit here boy, this is this is a tough one. So I'm thinking out loud on the podcast. I could have thought about it before and answered it, but I, I think I wanted to give you a spontaneous answer. Um and it's not going great right now. I, I do think, you know, in the top five, looking at it, Cutter Goche makes a lot of sense to me for the Flyers. Um, you know, he's a center, he's big, he's rugged. He's got some great athleticism. Um, you know, I think that he could be a guy that plays down the middle for them for a long time. Um, you know, the, the, there's organizational needs that I think he could address. So that's pretty interesting um, as well. And then I would just say, you know, after that, you know, let's get goofy with it. Jack Hughes playing for his dad at at in Montreal. You know, is that was does that one make sense? Uh, does, um, you know, Lane Lambert and the the Islanders getting Brad Lambert does that make sense? The the uncle nephew team there. You know, it's it's tough to say. Um, you know, I would I would I would think that uh, you know Steve Iserman and the and the red wings i'm going to be interested to see you know who they take it always seems like they have a type i would not be stunned if that player was marco casper um you know the guy tremendous two-way player well-rounded european you know just a lot of a lot of different things there I'd say oh yeah that would make that make sense if it was him um but yeah but i mean i think this year it's always tough to say you know who who fits well with a team because you know, we could say it all looks great from the outside and it really isn't on the inside. And it's, it's just, so it's tough for us not only to opine about, but also tough to measure in the end. All right. Just about done with this week's episode. Did want to remind you again, download uh, your subscribe to the podcast, share it, leave positive ratings and reviews, help us out. We really appreciate that. And when I say we, I mean me, cause I'm doing this on my own. Um, and maybe for a little bit longer, but you know, this is going to be really interesting. And I think that if there's one piece of advice for draft fans that I wanted to get to, um, is you can definitely argue about the draft without slagging the players. Cause I, I see that a lot where it's like, you know, we, we had the Kako versus Jack Hughes, Kako better, all these other things. And, you know, in the end, um, you know, the players do often see that. So I would say, you know, tone it down a little bit that way. Um, be open to the fact that there are a lot of various opinions out there that come from very diverse backgrounds uh, and experiences that really, you know, you kind of have to listen to them uh, and, and decide for yourself. But when you look at all these draft rankings, you can look at elite prospects. You can look at future considerations. You can look at the athletic, you can look at Craig button and Bob McKenzie and all of the other ones out there. You know, you look at a player and see all the different uh, places that have ranked that player on, um, Uh, you know on elite prospects and it gives you a you know gives you a chance to kind of see what they're at but you know you got mckean's and all these other places dauber i mean there are so many places where you can get prospect content now and as i say every single year the best thing that you can do is to consume as much of it as possible and draw your own conclusions based on the things that you agree with and if you can watch more video of these players too by all means do it. It's a lot different now. It's harder to do it, but hopefully it will get easier and easier as time goes on to to get video of these players and to to disseminate it and to continue to share their stories as they enter this next phase of their career. So um, plenty more work to be done on the draft front, but there are a lot of great people that that work really hard to produce this content. It is not easy to do. Um, It is definitely taxing at times, but uh, basically what I'm trying to say is if they're open to it, it's Hug a Draft Analyst Day um, across America and Canada. Um, but that is as long as they're okay with being hugged. Uh, don't just hug. We, we don't hug strangers, right? Uh, did I just go into dad mode on the podcast? Yeah, I did. And I just talked to myself like like there was somebody else in the room. but But there isn't, I don't think. Wow, this is a rambling way to end a podcast, isn't it? Anyway, support all the people that do the great work. Enjoy the draft. We will have more episodes coming up before the draft in uh, July, but also uh, we'll have coverage after the draft. Can't wait to get all that going for you. Hope you guys enjoyed the draft rankings and I hope that you enjoyed the Q&A portion as well. Again, please go check that out at dailyfaceoff.com. Again, subscribe, rate, review the podcast. And again, thank you so much for all the support this season. It it has been a challenging one, but you guys have been there every step of the way, and I really enjoy these conversations that we've been having in this podcast format, so I hope you guys are enjoying listening. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters, and we will catch you next time.